1: Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Reedsburg, which apparently is a small town uh, just to the west of Wisconsin Dells. So, shout out to our ESPN Reedsburg affiliate. Uh, haven't been there in a while. i have to stop by the office in the next little while. Joining me, as always, will be my good friend Frank Madden. And then also joining me will be our good friend Coles Wicker. So, this is the first of some of our draft interviews that we will do as we try to get ready for the NBA draft. Now, uh, less than a month away, uh, June 21st, is draft night, uh, which means I, like that's... That's two weeks from right now. So uh, we are very, very close to the draft. We'll have some more uh, draft coverage next week. We'll try to do another draft guess uh, around that time, around this Thursday area. And you know, then if we have some extra time, that can run over into Friday. But Thursday and Friday of next week, you should expect draft coverage. And then that following Thursday, on the 21st, you should expect draft coverage as well as we try to get you ready for the draft these next couple weeks. So, uh, a lot more for you coming down the pipeline. Uh, but today, this is, uh, I think, one of the podcasts Frank and I look forward to most each year. Uh, Coleswicker from the Stepian, he does incredible work there um, and just and Frank will talk about this a little bit at the end of tomorrow's episode is we're going to to split this into two parts because we went long because of course we went long uh, talking with Cole but we're going to split this up into two parts and tomorrow as we wrap up the podcast you'll hear Frank talk a little bit about the way that Cole sees things is not necessarily breaking it down into a comp and to say well you know this guy looks like Nick Young or Gary Neal or whoever it may be Like like he tries to stay away from that instead think about roles that guys serve on the floor, um, roles that they can serve within a team setting and, and thinks about it, that way a little bit more. So uh, we really like his analysis because it does kind of try to break away from uh, a lot of the typical stuff that you hear. So uh, this is a fun conversation, and will take up the next two days of our podcast. Um, I'm sure I'll be back again tomorrow to record a little bit of an intro and uh, possibly talk a little bit more about uh, the Bucks and their assistant coaches. Uh, today, it broke from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Chris Vivlemore uh, was able to report that. Five of the six assistants from Mike Boonholzer's staff will be coming to Milwaukee. That is everyone except Chris Gent. Uh, Gent was the last one added to that staff and also the only one not hired by Mike Budenholzer. Uh, he was hired by the general manager, Travis Schlenk last year. Um, but the other five that do come are Darvin ham, his lead assistant, Taylor Jenkins, Ben Sullivan, Patrick St. Andrews. And as we had talked about uh, earlier this week, Charles Lee. So all of them will be coming to Milwaukee and all of them will be again, working with Boonholzer uh, as they try to build up the team and try to build up their staff and try to get everything underway here in the summer so uh, that's the latest news we might be able to talk about that a little bit more tomorrow but uh, that is the latest with all that being said uh, I think that's about it we'll see you on the other side let's get into the conversation today we have one of the most fun podcasts of of the year i feel like uh i know it's one that everyone was kind of looking forward to it's one that they've been asking us to do for oh man frank i don't even know how long at this point um it feels like the last month people have been asking when we're gonna have colon. uh that's today. We're going to have Coleswicker on today. Coleswicker, the co founder and uh, a writer at the Stepion. Go check out the Stepion. Uh, we've complained uh, about how we don't get Draft Express anymore uh, because you know they're over at ESPN and they're not producing the same content. The void that is trying to be filled, like the people filling that void. It's the Stepien, so go check out Uh and that is where Cole is. Cole, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, happy to be back. All right, Cole. Um, I think Frank wants to do a zoom out Bucks kind of roster question, offseason kind of stuff. Do I have that right, Frank? Do you want to go for that?
2: Yeah, let's just knock it out. We were debating whether to do it first or last, and I think Eric, you wisely said, like, you know, people I think are most interested in <laughs> draft stuff at this point, we've had. A million Jabari Parker, Eric Bledsoe conversations, but we are too lazy to generally have uh, smart guests on. And so, given that we have actually, you know, I think one of our favorite people on Buck, or not on Buck's Twitter, but on NBA Twitter, in uh, colon and, and Cole, while he does, uh, I think. You know, most people know him maybe more for his draft stuff. Um, he obviously has, I think, great takes on on just the league in general. So, Cole, I wanted to ask you just because you know it's sort of like the the rite of passage here. If you talk to us, um, you have to give us your your you know general opinion of of kind of the Bucks, like you know what they should be thinking about, how they should be approaching this summer. Obviously, you know some big questions. Of the first one, obviously with. You know what were they going to do from a coaching standpoint? Um, Mike Budenholzer is is now obviously in, and hopefully the Bucks you know have averted the disaster that could have come from their coaching search. Which you know again never never count out the Bucks' possibility of creating a disaster. But um, they've got a coach now, um, so we'd be curious to hear your thoughts on. I guess you know just Mike Budenholzer that hire, but then probably more interestingly, you know Jabari Parker. Is there you know do you have a, a clear opinion of kind of how you would approach? the Jabari Parker restricted free agency question if you were the Bucks, and you know just generally like as you look at this roster certainly there's a number of kind of big decisions to be made first with Jabari but then really you know going into next summer as well with you know what happens to Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton likely also opting out so just kind of curious to get your thoughts on sort of the state of the Bucks roster and you know kind of maybe which pieces you'd be looking to keep, which pieces you might be looking to move on from.
0: I mean, the important thing is they nailed the coaching search. I mean, Mike Budenholzer was the best available coach. I think he's going to work wonders for that team. It has just been in dire need of getting more offensive style that's more conducive and maybe more modern, I would say and I think he's gonna be able to optimize guys we've seen how he's developed a Torian Prince in the past he has good development ability especially on the wing so you look at the roster right now a guy like Sterling Brown who we talked about on the podcast last year I believe and obviously was selected by the Bucks. I think that he's gonna be improved in that kind of system that operates more with ball movement getting Giannis in more advantageous situations maybe playing more of the five um, and using him as the screener for example as a way to do that so I think the Buck. They hit the nail on the head, and they really hit a home run with Budenholzer. And you go from there, Jabari is the most interesting topic for me of anything this offseason for any team. I'm just really fascinated to see what transpires with him just because of a very unique situation with the injury history, the pedigree in the draft, of course, being the number two pick. And it's really it's really difficult, man, to, to even come up with a contract number. I talked about this with Sam Bessina on his podcast, and we are trying to throw out numbers on what would be – like a fair offer for both sides. And I just don't see a lot of meeting at the minds. I mean, based on pedigree, Jabari probably wants $20 million a year. How comfortable are the Bucks doing that? And I do think that Budenholzer is probably going to optimize him better than he had been in the past as far as really seeking out and extracting all of his offensive upside because he does have a lot of creation upside as far as his athleticism, getting to the rim, his handle, that kind of stuff. It just comes down for me, is is this guy going to be a fixture on a championship level team? Because the Bucs have a, a feature player in Giannis Antetokounmpo that a lot of teams don't have. They, they're ready to win now because of that. And they have that secondary guy, Chris Middleton, was one, the, in my opinion, probably one of the 12 best players in the playoffs this year. So can Jabari play team defense at a level that is acceptable? That, that's really what the Bucs have to ask themselves. Can or Kind of d- design a scheme, maybe more, maybe a little bit even more switching and not so aggressive that doesn't make Jabari make so many decisions off the ball or put him in those scenarios where, for him, he's, n- he's never been a high level defensive player, so you don't want to put him in situations that he's probably going to fail at. And, you know, you have to be able to, I think for the bucks you have to be able to come up with a scenario, you have to come up with a plan that can place a guy like Jabari in a position and put him in a position to succeed. If you don't do that, I, I don't know if he's going to be worth what. Is going to be paid. We don't know what the restricted free agency market is going to be with so little teams having cap space. I don't even know if Jabari gets a huge offer, but it's really a fascinating dilemma from every side. I can understand, you know, if the Bucks. Maybe overpaid a little bit because of just the nature of the situation. But <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I had a good answer to this question because it really is probably the most bizarre situation this offseason because a guy like Julius Randle for the Lakers, it's much more contingent on free agency options and they just have a different scenario for the Bucks, They're capped out. What do they really do to fill that void? teams don't ever give up on pedigree players like that this soon so it's going to be really fascinating
1: i, I mean i, I yeah <laughs> i don't really have like a smart take on it because i think we're all kind of in the same spot and uh, the there is no There's no shortage of fascinating storylines that go into that. Like, just the idea of how you kind of treat a guy that you picked high, how you treat a guy that had a bunch of injuries, how you treat a guy that struggled defensively, how you treat a guy that has uh, shown clear abilities to make plays offensively. Like, how do you balance out all of those things? And it's not just, like, one question that goes into it. There's... 10 uh, five, ten, fifteen—like the questions just keep mounting as you think about that decision. And uh, I would agree, Cole. Like, it's just a—it's just a tough spot.
2: Let me, Let me ask you this, Cole. If If you were a random NBA team, let's say you—you know—you're starting from scratch, and and you have an option to to sign one of the kind of a uh, handful of restrictive free agent forwards that are out there. I think you mentioned Julius Randle, obviously Jabari, um, and also I'd throw Aaron Gordon in there. And obviously, you know, guys who have a lot of overlap, maybe in terms of positional usage, um, but in terms of skill sets, you know, bring kind of different things. Forgetting like the Bucks specifically, um, just in general, I mean, if you were a GM and you had, you know, scarce cap dollars to spend, um, I mean, how would you kind of rate those three guys? Because I know I've had a few people ask about Julius Randle, um, who I, I don't I think Julius is a good player. I don't think he'd like fit well on a team like the Bucks. And I mean, he's you know, the Bucks have no cap money anyway, other than the mid level. So it's kind of irrelevant. But I mean, if you're just a random team, how would you kind of view those guys? I mean, do you think any of those guys is. Is like a, a great guy to target in restrictive free agency, or do you think you know all of them could be overpaid? Obviously, we don't know what the market will be, but how would you kind of compare those three?
0: I think I would prefer Aaron Gordon of the group. I think he's the most proven and in the right role. He's the easiest to fit in a role to me on a competitive team as far as playing the yeah. four, being switchable. Um, he showed improvements in his shot this last year of course he started off really hot and then that kind of leveled off he wasn't that caliber of shooter that he started the season but i think just from a role standpoint on a good team aaron gordon stands out to me as potentially being a two-way guy if he can space the floor who can switch randall's a little trickier because he played the five this past season for the la that's kind of salvaged his career frankly like he's not really tenable as a four but as a five he can switch he's got the strength ability to slide in space he's kind of interesting but that goes to positional scarcity and like the argument that they're just Is it really that valuable? Is a five that maybe is a part-time five really that valuable as far as economically? I'm not sure if teams want to invest a ton of capital in a player like that, even though Julius does play space defense at a pretty high level now. So that's definitely an alluring quality. But I think I would actually probably take Parker third there just based on (laughs) certainty. Almost like if if you could tell me the specific kind of contract structure, maybe you could start getting more pro Jabari. But a four-year deal for fully guaranteed i just i'm a little nervous about that with him i just don't know like the upside offensively is there if he was even like an adequate defender if he wasn't a non-liability i would feel much better but again i think that you're just juggling the injuries with you know how does he contribute to winning basketball there's just a lot more questions with him that are really frankly hard to suss out unless i knew the exact program and the exact kind of regiment that he's going to be put on in a new team and how he's going to be developed
2: i think the one thing you you hit on there kind of speaks to i think a lot of and eric and i have talked about this sort of especially watching not just the finals but these last two rounds you know when you'd mentioned aaron gordon i think that was the first thing i thought of as well it's like i can picture aaron gordon on the floor in the finals and you know not being a guy that they're looking to you know the the other team isn't looking to exploit defensively every time down the court right i mean with jabari obviously that's a big question even with randall obviously depending on matchups like i mean he can obviously also have issues defensively in in matchups um as we kind of look big picture um obviously it plays into those guys you know these 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 rich free agents but i think maybe as we transition to the draft a little bit um how do you kind of factor in sort of the the changing nature of the NBA game. I mean, it, it, you know, we were, I was talking to a couple of people tonight and you were talking about the Rockets and how, you know, two years ago, the Rockets were signing Ryan Anderson as sort of this, you know, Oh, like we're going to play, you know, uh, stretch the floor and Ryan Anderson's gonna be this modern NBA four man and all this. And, you know, <laughs> fast forward now, like Ryan Anderson, like is unplayable in the playoffs because of his defense. And he's a, you know, 20 million a year albatross, you know, and that's a guy, Daryl Moore, you know, one of the smartest guys in the league signed two years ago. Um, as you look at this draft, I mean, we don't. I don't think. I think just for for our listeners, I know we we're probably not going to spend a lot of time talking about the very top prospects because you know this is a box podcast. <laughs> but um, just in general, like, I mean, how much has sort of the changing nature of the league and you know seemingly everything now in these last the last month becoming you know switch everything type defenses with uh, really a de-emphasis on big guys. I mean, how much does that spill over into the way you view prospects? I mean. You know, obviously, people are going to look at like Aiton versus Doncic, and obviously there are a number of other big guys in the top end of the draft. But just in general, I mean, how much you know does that has does that change? So sort of the way you evaluate prospects, like you know, is are we do we do we are we maybe kind of over indexing on what we see here in the the very kind of latter stages of the playoffs? Do you think, or you know, is this just sort of the inevitable? evolution of the game and you know hey like absolutely this this has to change the way we value these these picks a lot as well
0: I wrote about this recently on the site about viewing kind of offensive trends for big men moving forward I think this is most this conversation is mostly centralized around bigs and then smaller point guards who get headhunted in the playoffs there's been a lot of conversation about that so that relates to a guy like Trey Young it's really difficult unless you're a team like Cleveland, Boston, Golden State or Houston that, you know, you're going to be competitive in the next couple of years, because then I think you really know what kind of player that you need in the playoffs. Right. Like that changes your calculus, like a Miles Bridges, a McHale Bridges, those kinds of wings who are versatile and don't have glaring holes in your game. Those guys are going to be more valuable in the next couple of years. But then you look forward four or five years in the future and how many of the elite players in the league project to be big men? Mostly all of them, like Chris Epps, uh Joel Embiid. Carl Towns, even the initiator types that I call them, like the wing initiators, like a Giannis, of course, is in this conversation, probably at the top. And then Ben Simmons, those guys play more like bigs than they do guards. So They're not like game changing shooters off the dribble. You can defend them differently than you can, obviously, like a James Harden or Stephen Curry. LeBron, the league is just in a weird spot right now where the elite players are historically elite at what they do, like LeBron's probably the biggest mismatch creator of all time, and he makes you incur basically every trade-off against him as far as, you know, he can post, he can score, he's one of the best decision makers of all time, so you just, there's no answer for him, and I think Steph is the same way as a shooter. It's... Like, you're not going to get that same level of shooting, even if it's Damian Lillard. That's still not as good as Steph, right? So that in the next couple of years, if you know you're going to be competing or you're going to try to compete and you have to go against these guys, I think you have to factor that are at the top of the class. But for me, in a vacuum big board, I still build in league trends. Like I have Jaron Jackson ahead of DeAndre Ayton on my board. I think he's the best defensive or the best overall big in the class because he fits modern NBA trends better like he's a much better defensive player i usually always look at defense first with bigs i want my bigs to defend and he's probably the most instinctual help defender that i've seen from a big since maybe anthony davis and probably even more so than him so he can shoot the ball from three off the catch he can attack closeouts he's unselfish and then he defends at both levels and i think that's the kind of guy that's going to be super valuable at the nba level i mean if you are a center you almost have to shoot to have high level value as far as in the playoffs cuz that then you elicit you allow your teams to play five out basketball and that's kind of one of the trends that's going to continue like shooting's never going to be a problem it's never going to go away you're always that's always going to be valuable same with versatility so the players that have those two things shooting and versatility i think you have to bump them up a little bit in the draft process because those are coveted skill sets that i don't see changing
1: all right um let's try to get into this a little bit and uh, again you do a million podcasts so you may not remember this from last year but how i sort of like to start this off is making sure we kind of knock all the people off the list that won't be at 17 for the milwaukee bucks because again you could tell us a lot about them and your information would be great but it doesn't really matter to Bucks fans because there's just not a world that really exists where those people uh, would end up being available to the Bucks at 17. So um, I like to try out to categor- categorize these players into definitely gone, almost certainly gone, almost certain probably available and definitely available i like to try to kind of categorize put those four groups together and i think let's start with definitely gone um, these are guys that i don't see getting outside of the lottery and there's no way they get to 17 i have aiden Doncic, bagley bomba jaron jackson uh trey young michael bridges miles bridges and wendell carter jr is that are you comfortable with saying those guys there's no way no, no possible world, no way, no simulation, nothing that would exist that would get them to seventeen to the Milwaukee Bucks.
0: Yes, one hundred percent. I'm with all those names.
1: Okay, um, almost certainly gone. These are people that there's maybe a slight chance that somehow they could possibly get there, but it's very unlikely. Um, I have Michael Porter Jr., Shea Gilgis, Alexander, uh, Lonnie Walker, Robert Williams, Kevin Knox, and Colin Sexton. I'm not. 100% sure on Knox and Sexton, but I feel pretty good about the other ones.
0: Yeah, this is a really interesting group. I don't think Michael Porter will be there. Shea could be there. Alexander, I, I would be surprised. I think he probably goes top 15 or 16. The most likely guys to be there, in my opinion, are probably Lonnie Walker and Robert Williams, just because the big conundrum at the top it's probably going to push one of the bigs down because not every team's going to draft a big and there's so many in the lottery like you just named from the definitely gone section Lonnie Walker I I think he probably goes higher he's gotten a ton of of buzz recently because he looks great in workouts he's super athletic and he shoots the ball so I would be surprised if he's there but I think these are in the right category all right so then
1: I guess from that group and maybe there's a few more that you want to add that you know might be gone but you're not hundred percent sure on like what would be best case scenario. Do you feel like for the bucks at 17, like who would be the best guy that if you could get a guy to fall,
0: you'd really want it to be that guy. Really interesting question. Cause I mean, the bucks are different than a lot of other teams because they already have such, infrastructure in place around Giannis and around Middleton. You kinda need somebody they can shoot. I was gonna ask you guys really quick before we get into this, like what do you guys think is the Bucks I'm sure you guys have talked about this at nauseam, but what is their biggest need in the draft? Like positionally or skill set it's
1: funny that, cause I think and again Frank mentioned this a little bit the the concern that we have that we're factoring in the playoffs too much but to me it feels like a wing that can shoot like that to me I just think and it's kind of those things that you said versatility and shooting like you need a wing that can shoot a point guard. Uh, you want to, you want the bucks to get better. Um, but you know, I don't know if that's a huge need, uh, bloodso can be fine. You know, Brock can play a little bit of that. And then bigs, the bucks have been bad at rebounding. So like getting a better center, uh, would also be fine, but they have a lot of money stuck into it. So to me, it feels like wing. What do you think, Frank?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say point guard. I mean, I think, cause I view this as, you know, whoever they draft obviously is, is, going to be a longer term you know i don't know if i want to say project but you know effectively before this person peaks it's going to be three four years before they can probably be like a you know high level uh, you know player in like a playoff series maybe um i mean hey I'd, I'd love to be proven wrong by you know the next donovan mitchell but um so you just I, had to I, do I would, it
1: huh frank you you just yeah. had to bring him up <laughs> wow Okay.
2: Up, hey, we, brought, we talked about him last year so you know we <laughs> gotta, get, gotta get ourselves credit for that um So I would say point guard just because, again, and I've been, Mm. you know, up until the playoffs, I mean, I was generally like a – I felt like a defender of Bledsoe just because, I mean, in the regular season, he was a productive guy. He was – I mean, like I think like (laughs) – I think he had like a better RPM than Kyrie Irving this year, right? I mean, like he – the bucks were actually were, were way better with him on the court and you know he was generally productive even though he's you know shooting wise offensively not exactly like an ideal compliment to somebody like Giannis obviously um so I would say just sort of you know with him being an expiring salary and the likelihood that giving him a bunch of money is just going to be a bad idea as he as he ages um I just think you know again like as much as point guard you know um Maybe a, a single, you know, superstar point guard is not the panacea that will carry you to championships. If you already have Giannis, um, you have Middleton. Um, you know, you mentioned center. I think center. Just, I just feel like you can't put money or, or if you're going to skimp any place, it would be on center. So I kind of come back to point guard as being like the most obvious spot where you know, if I could have a, a really like, and again, not even like elite, elite, but like a, if I could get like a top ten to twelve, you know, point guard that I know I'm going to have him for, you know. Five to seven years or whatever during Yanis's prime, that would be like really appealing. And um, you know, again, I think I think in this draft, like I, I don't know who that is. I think um, Shea is is maybe the guy that you know could potentially be there, as, as as you and Cole were saying. That I think would be the most interesting, just because he's also like big and has some skill. You know, maybe not like an athletic freak, but I think is an interesting guy, especially as you try to project forward. Like you know, who could you picture? You know, being a running mate of Giannis years down the road, who can take pressure with his shoot? Maybe he's not like Trey Young with the shooting, but whatever. You know, like a guy who could develop into a, like you know a really good point guard to to play with Giannis in you know the twenty twenty two playoffs or something like that. So that that would probably be my focus. But again, I mean, if you find like you know a really good rotation, you know, shooter who can play some defense, hey that that obviously always has value too
1: sorry to iso you out of the conversation Cole. but does the <laughs> does the longer development time of a point guard scare you at all frank because i feel like most of the time with young point guards unless you are getting a, a spot where it's donovan mitchell and i think you could probably argue you know is he more of an initiator or point guard like i feel like with point guards it does take a little while does that concern you at all in the next couple of years
2: no i know i mean i mean in fairness too like i mean if it's a guy who can be like an initiator who's not like a pure point guard but a guy you can give the ball to initiate sets and can shoot off the dribble, um, late in games. I mean, you know, whatever, like yeah. maybe it's not a, a real point guard, but if it's somebody who can do some of that, then, then that also, you know, can, I think fill a lot of the same bill. But, um, but yeah, I, I think the the timeline doesn't necessarily scare me that much just because, you know, you know, this is 23, right? So, um, I think with Brogdon and, you know, you've got blood. if he's around next year and then obviously you have Brogdon that you'll have to make a decision on eventually, but, um, you know, you at least have options to sort of, you know, kind of carry you over for a couple of years, especially given the way Giannis plays. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, it, I don't know if the value is going to be there at that spot with a point guard. I think we were kind of in a similar spot last year where we were desperately trying mm-hmm. to talk ourselves into like Juwan Evans or somebody. Yeah. Um, and hell, I mean, joan evans would have been a better pick than dj wilson at this point but um but yeah it's it's kind of tough right because i think you know certainly i fall into the trap of i look at like kind of what i what kind of player i would want and then i try to talk myself into (laughs) some somebody in that range um making sense but again that's that's why we have cole the guy that we're we're not letting talk um (laughs) Go ahead, Cole. No, I I think
0: that makes a lot of sense. As far as prospects in this range, it, it just depends. I think the point guards aren't locks to shoot like Shea he's not very dynamic as a shooter. He didn't take a lot at Kentucky, not much off the bounce there. And that doesn't matter as much next to Giannis who's going to have the ball out. That's the thing about the box is you really need shooting around him. And not a lot of guys do that in this range that are the more high profile guys. And if they do, they don't really defend at a high level. So there's going to be some trade off a guy that I like. That's not getting discussed a whole lot. Well, he is now after the combine, but Kevin Herter out of Maryland, six, seven wing, um, probably the best off balance, off-movement shooter in this class, or at least probably top three or four there. He's he's phenomenal, and he's got the positional size. He has ball skills. I mean, he played a little bit of point guard in at Maryland. He was a high school point guard, but he profiles the best, more in like a Clay Thompson, Kyle Korver-esque role. So as far as if you want to contribute right away, I think he's kind of a plug-and-play guy, that rotation wing that you guys were talking about. Not an impact defender by any means. I think he's passable. He has pretty good feet. He just lacks the length. He's only got like a plus like half inch wingspan. So the six, seven and a half wingspan. So not that long, but in Budnerholzer's system, I think that he could really optimize someone like that. Who can really shoot off screens. And again, you rarely see those qualities in a six, seven guy. You're mostly getting them from like a six, three, six, four guy, even a JJ Redick in the playoffs. You see the deficiencies as far as being unable to pass over the top of guys on like dribble handoffs. And that's something I like about Herter is he has the size to do that stuff. So you could really involve him in an offense. And I think that he could contribute potentially right away and give the Bucs a valuable skill set there.
1: One thing I'm curious about is I feel like Colin Sexton was uh, to me it felt like earlier in the draft process and again I don't spend my time on this um, nearly as much as you do but it did feel like he was kind of a top 10 guy and now when you look at big boards I feel like he's falling a little bit. Um, Would you see him as someone that could potentially fit with the Bucs? I know he likes the ball a lot um, but uh, what would you think about Sexton in Milwaukee?
0: I think it goes back to the shooting issue as well not very dynamic there never really has been. Not a, a real off ball player. He's more on ball. That's how he's been utilized. Like in high school, he was super, super high usage. Basically commands the ball at all times. A little shorter, too. Uh, p- some people are higher on his defensive projection. I think he gets some, like Eric Bledsoe, prime Eric Bledsoe comps. I, I don't think he's that caliber of defensive player. I think a lot of it's just energy, and he plays hard, but he's not really doing anything that's useful <laughs> a lot of the time. So he. <laughs> He's going to go higher. I don't think he's going to be there at 17. This pedigree is too high. ESPN still has him top 10, and that's something to read off of. I think a lot of draft Twitter is soured on him because if you're incurring that size trade-off that we talked about in the playoffs where you're playing a smaller guy, for me, he just has to be a knockdown shooter. Otherwise, you're not probably going to get that. Benefit, and just, that's why I like Trey Young so much more than Colin Sexton because he's a he's a knockdown shooter. So with Colin, there's some more defensive upside. He's a better athlete getting downhill, but he's not a crazy crazy top shelf athlete. And I don't think he passes the ball well enough. He doesn't shoot the ball well enough to really function in Milwaukee's scheme, at least helping them right away. I, I
1: guess f- for me, then there's just a, I mean, to me, actually, let's do the other point guard. Let's do Ali Ocobo. Um, what are your thoughts on him I, I don't really have any read for him I know he had what 44 points in a recent game and I forget what league he was in um, but I, what what can you tell us about him
0: actually this is going to be one of the only guys that I can't tell you a lot just because I haven't gotten to some of the international guys we have on the site Jackson Hoy who writes for us has been on him all year I, I know basically enough to give uh, Bucks fans like a general conceptual idea it. of him he's he doesn't have great size, but he got decent size. He He's a good shooter, good scorer. He's really improved in those components. I think he is likely to shoot, so that makes him more alluring in this range for the Bucks. And he has the off-ball juice. I think his handle is good enough to thrive in an on-ball role, but he can also play off the ball. Uh, his defense, I don't have a good read on, but from the guys I trust, it's it's not great. Um, so that's an issue with his projection but I'm gonna get to his tape pretty soon so he, he's more of an offensive guy to me but I could see arguments even for putting him on a lot of guys that I respect have him up above Colin Sexton so that's the kind of potential talent we're looking at it's just how well does it really fit on the team I think if he shoots at a high enough level he, he's fine as a plug and play guy but li- like you guys noted before I think there is some Arguments to be made about taking time with, with point guard types that can't really just fill a role. Like De'Anthony Melton's another guy I should mention really briefly. Not like a pure point guard, but he's the ideal fit next to Giannis for me if he shoots. And he didn't get a chance to show that. Of course, he didn't play this last season due to the FBI investigation. He played two years ago at USC. He's still really young. He's still 20. But he's been working with Drew Halen on his mechanics. You saw him play at the combine, and they looked pretty good. Honestly, he's the best defensive guard to me in the class overall. He's a high level. hes I don't want to say generational because it's a little hyperbolic, but he is incredible instincts-wise. Like, you, you guys will love him if you watch his tape. Um, it just comes down to shooting. If he can shoot the ball, I think that he is the, easily the guy that's number one for me in this range for the Bucks, and He should be there. I think his range probably starts uh, maybe 16 and then goes to maybe 30 or so. Uh, D'Anthony Melton, not a pure point guard again, but a guy who can play both sides of the floor and he can really impact winning at a high level.
1: All right, let's knock out the rest of the point guards and uh, there's one in particular. Uh, I mean Aaron Holidays around, Jerome Robinson, uh, Kyrie Thomas, um, but I keep getting uh, a couple weeks back I asked Bucks fans about who they wanted and this dude's name keeps coming up, Dante DiVincenzo. They love Dante <laughs> DiVincenzo. Um, We're talking
2: about point guards though. He's not a point guard though, right? I mean he's like a
1: yeah i don't know like i'd i'd be curious to hear cole what you think about him and because i mean i think his size might say he's more of a point guard than a two guard and i don't know so uh what what are your thoughts on any of those guys
0: yeah dante is interesting i think he's definitely more of a two as far as definitely play style he's not a point guard to me he doesn't initiate sets he's not that level of passer but he can shoot it especially when he gets hot Villanova is so good at coaching footwork and everything. So he's really advanced as far as balance and all of that goes. Like he can fit into an offense kind of like Kevin Herter, who we already talked about. I just don't think he's that level of defensive player. He's a little smaller overall. For me, he's always kind of screamed bench shooter. So just a guy that can really get you buckets off the bench. He can come in. You can attack closeouts. He's got a coordinated enough handle. Underrated athlete as far as like he's pretty good vertically, especially when you can load up off two. But I don't see a lot of defensive equity with him. It's more, you know, he's a bench shooter type who can just get you buckets.
1: Um all right, Robinson or Holiday. I was trying to think of any other point guards that are kind of in the mix there. Uh and I guess Kyrie Thomas. Any any feel for those 3?
0: Uh, yeah, Kyrie Thomas is again. He's an undersized two. Some people compare him to Avery Brad- Bradley. He's not as athletic. He's like a poor man's version of Avery Bradley. That's conceptually who he is as a player. Not very advanced ball skills at all. He's more of a. He's more definitely more of an undersized two that you want to optimally play at point guard defensively and have him guard point of attack. Um, Aaron Holiday. <sighs> You get varying opinions on him. I'm not a huge fan. He can really shoot the hell out of the ball, though, um, off the catch especially. like He's a really, really good off-the-catch shooter. Also has pull-up ability. I've just never been a fan of his decision-making, and he's so damn small, even though he is built stoutly. like He's got a good frame, and he's strong. But I don't know if he's the kind of point guard that i incur the negatives with him like we talked about i i don't want to incur that size drop off i don't think he brings quite enough to the table to do that and then drum robinson is more of a wing again to me more kind of similar to dante in several ways uh he's definitely a shooter uh it just comes down to defense i'm not huge on his defense overall i'm not sure if he even profiles is average on that end. If he did, he'd be getting a lot more buzz, but he can really shoot the ball. And I think he's risen a little bit in workouts because of that.
1: So a little bit of a surprise for me there, as I was not quite ready for us to get into uh, who we see as the, the Bucks fit and i guess frank and i got to contribute a little bit more than we typically do uh with cole Uh, but tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about the guys that you know you should expect in the bucks range we'll talk about a number of the wings uh that cole likes we'll talk about you know just a a lot of the guys that i think we've had some conversations about so um, i was a little bit thrown off by frank saying that he was uh interested in point guard in the draft Uh, i was not Really ready for that. Um, so we talked a little bit about point guards today. Tomorrow will be more about the wings in that area, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about the second round. Just because, again, I know it's always kind of our dream that uh, the Bucks will actually buy a second rounder and will actually, you know, kind of use that asset uh, of just that money that you get to spend uh, throughout a fiscal year and use it to get a second round pick. So we'll see if they. Uh, they actually end up doing that, but we want to talk a little bit about the second rounders as well. So that'll be tomorrow's uh, podcast and kind of the discussion that we end up having with Cole tomorrow. So even more to come with Cole Zwicker from the step In tomorrow. So you can wait on all of that. For Frank men for Cole Zwicker, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.